Worldwide, we are more depressed, more distracted, and more distrustful of each other than any other time in history. We all want to live our best selves, but we are constantly being sold mirages of fulfillment. We are medicated, marginalized, and told to get in line for our state-sanctioned happiness. Individuals are not statistics, and we will not be treated this way. We are responsible for our own results, and we will have them if we dare. This is the Matchless Mindset. Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, today we're going to look at a topic that has really impacted myself, as well as a, a lot of other people to a startling degree. Um, we're going to talk about how we have a tendency to deceive ourselves, uh, to um, actually lie about what it is we want, what it is we desire, um, and what it is we're actually accomplishing. So I invite you, listen all the way to the end, and uh, we'll see what we can uh, see, what we can see uh, from this topic. So before we jump in, I want you to think about Think about a time where you lied to yourself about something. This could be anything. It could be about how, you know, you want to stop drinking. It could be about uh, the kind of job that you want to have. It could be about uh, something to do with your family. I think we can all identify with this to an extent. Um, I want you to consider the results of what that lie was. So when you lied to yourself, and we, depending on what we do, we get, we get a good or we get a negative result. So what were the consequences of that lie? Do you still have that lie that you haven't even recognized as, as something that you're deceiving yourself with? Um, I find in my life that whenever I go through the process of deceiving myself, I actually set myself up for uh, negative consequences that I think end up being outside of my control, but really it's because I haven't been true to what's actually what I actually want and what I what I desire. Um, I can give you an example of this. So when I was um, it was about a year ago, and I I got involved with a new business opportunity. And uh, I saw a lot of potential in it, but the challenge about this business opportunity was that it forced me to take on take on learning and take on responsibilities that really were difficult for me because I didn't desire to do those things. I didn't want to do those things, but I told myself, you know, this is really great stuff. I want to get. I want to get involved. I want to do this. And six months later, I hit a wall. I burnt out and I had to deal with the consequences of having broken relationships, of having compromised on my values. And this is just one example uh, where self-deception has actually led to some tremendous heartache in my own life. Um, so what ultimately, what are the consequences of self-deception? Um, we do not in any way um, reflect our inner experience uh, when we deceive ourselves. So I may believe one thing, but if I choose to put those beliefs aside and actually act in a different way um, out of self-interest for somebody um, to, to bring 
myself uh, what I think I want, um, this leads to tension and stress in our lives. Um, the, the, it has a very physical uh, manifestation through many hormones such as cortisol that course through the body as a result of um, this not not actually living out our our inner experience in our in our outer life um, it is not sustainable um, people can maintain it for a period of time uh, so you hear of marriages that go on for a decade or two decades and then they suddenly fall apart and it's because one of the spouses decided that they weren't being true to themselves and they had had enough they were going to finally be true to themselves it can create great harm to ourselves and others, such as, like I mentioned, in a mouse or in a in a marriage, um, which ultimately ends up having things erupt into disastrous consequences. So why do we lie to ourselves? Because I think it's because we're attempting to avoid the consequences of the truth. Like a child who is afraid of the monster in the closet. We believe that if we just close our eyes and we wish the problem away, then we'll be okay. Um, I would I would suggest that this is hardly a appropriate response for grown adults, as we all seem to be pretending to be. So I want to talk a little bit about truth versus facts. Okay, um, they may, on the face of them, seem like they are the same thing, but I would encourage you. To actually consider a new possibility. So facts, these are indisputable, these are the data, these are um, the evidence that we can tangibly put down, we can chart it on a graph, we can say you know what like the fact is is that I weigh 170 pounds. That That is a fact. Truth however is a matter of perception. Um, now I grew up in a, in a religious community uh, when I was a kid, and um, in those contexts, they state that truth is absolute. Um, and I suppose at this question, it's a question of semantics, um, or at this point, it's a question of semantics, because uh, this isn't really the truth that I'm talking about. Um, they're talking about universal truth, um, and if it, and if a truth truly is universal, then it, it's going to actually live in the realm of fact. Um, whatever your beliefs are, I'm not uh, here to. Um, suggest one way or another, but ultimately I'm talking about something different. Uh, the truth is the truth that we have that is individual to us. So con consider an argument from uh, with a spouse or a partner where you both believe that uh, your point of view is valid. So who's right? I mean, we always love to be right, but the thing is is that we are justified in feeling right. So let's take a specific case. Uh, consider um, that I'm having an argument with my wife about the amount of time that I uh, spend at home. Perhaps I'm working long hours um, and I'm, uh, she doesn't feel uh, loved and taken care of. And so she feels neglected. So she comes to me and she says that she feels unloved. Um, now let us consider that perhaps instead of spending time away from the home to be unloving, I might actually be spending the time away from home um, to bring home more money to increase our savings so that we could purchase a family home. Um, ultimately, my actions actually demonstrate that I am acting in 
the most loving way that I know how. So who's right? Well, the answer is both of us. Both of us are right in this situation. It just depends on how you actually choose to view the situation. The human brain is bombarded moment by moment by an astronomical amount of information. Um, not just external stimuli like sight, sound, and smell, but also internal stimuli such as thoughts, emotions, and sensations. Um, the solar plexus, which is the area just underneath your rib cage above your stomach, has the largest amount of um, nerves of anywhere in the body aside from the brain. So it is a powerhouse of sensation, and these are all internal experiences that we have. In 1956, a man by the name of George Miller stated in his information processing theory that at the time, um, any, anybody may hold in their mind between five to nine meaningful chunks of information. Um, this is what has become known as short-term memory. Now, obviously, the human brain is unable to take all of the massive amount of data that we see, hear, feel, and think so that the information has to go through some filters. Um, so we generalize, we delete, we distort information to actually suit our, our current model of the world. And this is what makes up our beliefs, our values. Um, this is how we place judgment on things and events and people based on the information that we are used to screening for. Now, this is the thing is these um, ways that we filter information are actually habits. So if I see or hear some information, I have a habit of screening information in a particular way. And so this ultimately um, is what forms our beliefs. So if I go to a party and I believe that uh, I'm not somebody that somebody is going to want to spend time with, I may look across the room and I may see someone glance towards me and, and a group of people laughing. I will automatically assume that they are laughing at me regardless of what the, tr what the actual facts of the matter is. They may actually be not talking about me at all. Um, they may, in fact, have seen me and had a, uh, a memory of something, some great time that we spent together. But it, it depends on the filters that I'm placing on that experience is going to determine my own internal experience. So if our entire experience is filtered down to such a paltry amount of data, how is it that we can actually stop lying to ourselves? Because really, are we lying to ourselves or are we just getting the wrong information? Well, first, the th first thing that we have to do is we must be willing to suspend our judgment of what we are experiencing and simply observe what is factual. When we hear something, actually listen to the words instead of taking the meaning. When we have a feeling, let us consider the physical sensation of the feeling before we put a name on it. For example, there is actually little physiological difference between excitement and anxiousness. And it's only through the context that we give the sensation meaning. So our heart starts beating faster, our blood pressure goes up, we start to maybe feel a little bit nervous. Um, we start to get that feeling in our solar plexus. How do you know the difference between excitement and anxiousness? The answer is context. By observing the facts without assigning meaning, we can actually make a more objective assessment of what is going on. Secondly, where other people are concerned, we should understand and appreciate that not all people are like us. 
and do not experience things the same way. So perhaps one person may be afraid of flying, which may be as a result of some sort of traumatic experience or um, they just never got around to loving flying. Uh, whereas another who has not had that experience and that background, um, and perhaps they fly often. The same context provides a contrast of both fear and actually boredom. Both models are valid, and it is important to ensure that we act with respect of another person's model of the world. If we imagine that we are seeing the situation from the other person's point of view, literally in our head, try and imagine that we are looking through their eyes, hearing through their ears, and feeling their feelings, it will actually allow us to remove some of the distortion that we are applying to the facts. So let's get really practical before we're done. One of the ways to consider objectively uh, is to use a process called Socratic questioning. Now this is named for the philosopher Socrates because he approached the idea of looking at the facts in a very objective way. This engages the logical mind to examine the thoughts that we have. The next time you have a thought um, and it brings about an undesired response such as anger, sadness, um, fear, you'll find a whole new perspective if you ask yourself some of the following questions. So what is the evidence for and against this thought? What are the facts? Am I basing this on facts or am I basing this on feelings? Could I be actually misinterpreting the evidence? Am I applying an interpretation to this that may not be the correct interpretation or may not be taking in all of the facts? Might other people interpret this question or this experience differently? Now there's a whole list of different Socratic questions um, that you can find with a quick Google search. I've given you a few that you can try out. Um, this is actually one of the bases of a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, so I encourage you, next time this happens, give it a shot. See how you might be able to see and experience and feel things a little bit differently. There are more questions out there, um, but you should be able to chew on that for enough for now. So it's been a pleasure. Until next time, take care and stay safe.